Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, welcome to the show. So happy you're tuning to Dose of Leadership. Man, I'm so excited to bring this converse, this next conversation to you. It was a local conversation I did face-to-face with a um, the president and owner of Schofield Honda, a dealership here in Wichita, Kansas, Roger Schofield. He's a second-generation owner. His father and uncle started the business in the mid-60s. It's a great entrepreneurship story, but what really impressed me about Roger Schofield and their business is the culture of leadership that is strongly rooted. Um, It's a unique organization. In an industry which is notorious for high turnover, I think the average turnover rate of an automobile dealership is twice that, the national average. We all have our preconceived notions about automobile dealerships. And uh, Roger breaks the mold. He, he's, he's different than everybody else. His top sales guy, he's been with him five years. When he got out of the Air Force, he'd never sold a car in his life. And he's breaking all these records. And it's this great individual. There's just this culture of leadership, this culture of, of, of engagement uh, that I've only seen in a handful of organizations that I've worked with and studied. Um, it's really unique. And Roger um, is so intentional about leadership and engagement. Um, this is well worth the listen to hear the story, to hear what he does right. Um, and it just validates everything that we've talked about on this show for five years. It was a true honor to have him on the show. And uh, if you're interested in seeing how to do things right, then listen to Roger, listen to his style, listen to what he believes, um, listen to his character, his values, and what he intentionally puts into play here at Schofield Honda. Eight years they've been nominated at one of the best places to work. Three years they've, they've won it outright. And uh, just uh, breaking records here locally and even on the national scale, um, it's just a great example of leadership and what can what can happen uh, when you become intentional about influence and leadership. I've said this time and time again on the show that the three key drivers to have an engaged workforce is number one, the senior leadership maniacally communicates where the ship is going and why, and Roger does that in spades. Second of all, the key stakeholders know how they feed into that mission. And that is clear throughout. And the third thing that drives engagement is recognition of high performers. Again, something that they do very well at Schofield Honda. So I'll let you listen to Roger, uh, but I guarantee this is well worth um, the 45 minutes to listen to Roger's story and how he runs Schofield Honda. I want you to check out Legacy Leader Blueprint. That is my online leadership course, 20 videos, four modules, five videos in each module, Leadership Fundamentals, Leading Yourself, Leading Others, and Transformational Leadership Topics. It's a great introduction to plant the seeds of leadership and a great team-building exercise if you're looking for your organization to do some economical and impactful leadership training. Go to doseofleadership.com and click on Legacy Leader Blueprint. You can watch a video that can show you the inside, the actual dashboard and, and the inside of the, the course itself. And for $349 a seat, it does not break the bank. And what you get with that are those 20 videos, plus you get four one and a half hour interactive sessions with me where I will coach your team through the lessons learned in those videos. So it's well worth the investment and a great way to introduce your team to common sense and impactful leadership training. All right. Okay. Without further ado, great conversation with Roger Schofield, the president and owner of Schofield Honda. Roger, I'm so excited to be sitting down with you face to face. I met you, I think it was like 15 days ago or 12 days ago, 15 days ago. (laughs) And I just, 
feel like someone that really, truly gets the whole leadership thing that I've been talking about here in Dose of Leadership. I mean, the instant that I met you and we sat down and we talked for two hours, you showed me around your store. I knew there was something special going on here. So thank you for, for sitting down and doing this and for, for Dose of Leadership. Thank you. Thank you for having me on the show. Yeah. You know, the automotive business, the automotive industry seems like a hell of an industry to, to be involved in. This is a family-run business. Take me a little bit back to the origins of Schofield Honda and how you got involved. Well, my father, Vic Schofield, and his brother, Dick Schofield, they were the Schofield brothers. And uh, they were one of seven kids, uh, grew up on a farm and, and grew up in the Depression. And they moved to Winfield uh, in the early 40s. And uh, my dad and uncle, their first business... now. My dad was the youngest of seven kids. My yeah. my uncle Dick was kind of in the middle, but there was twenty years difference between <laughs> yeah. wow. my dad and his oldest brother. There was ten years difference between my dad and his brother Dick. So I think their first business was Schofield Potato Chips in <laughs> Winfield, Kansas, wow. and they did uh, corn chips and potato chips, and they did orange and grape soda, and. Uh, that was their, my uncle Dick was, I think, around 26, 27, had just gotten out of the World War II, out of the service, came back to Winfield, had the opportunity to purchase this potato chip factory. And my dad was like a 17-year-old senior in high school. So for a couple of years, they they worked that. And um, we were talking about this earlier, but uh, uh, local TV guy, Larry Hatterberg, yeah. Uh, with the ABC affiliate here, his parents had a bakery there. Uh, and my dad and uncle sold them potato chips in a brown paper bag at their bakery. <laughs> so that was their first business. Uh, my Uncle Dick moved to Augusta, went to work for the local uh, Ford dealership. He was a sales manager. He hired my dad. My dad tried a couple of little sales positions, but when he was around 22, he went to work for my uncle as a salesman. And my uncle taught him the art of prospecting. Right. He said, I'm going to let you take a few... Uh, wait on a few customers just walking in the door, but if you're going to be successful, I'm going to make you go out every day, put him in a Ford, said, you go drive the country roads, you go around the city, anywhere you see somebody out in their yard, you stop, you talk to people in the diners, have coffee, but you need to hand out your business cards and let them know you want to be their car consultant. And uh, so my dad did that. He, My dad told me he struggled for the first six months. He was mm-hmm. selling five or six cars and you know, had, had, had married my mom and was wanting to start a family and just thought, man, I just don't know if I'm going to make enough money to do this. <laughs> right. And so he came back one day. This is go back to my uncle telling the story now. He said, your dad came back. He was a little dejected. I asked him how he did. And he said, oh, I didn't do very good at all today. Just handed out a bunch of cards. And my uncle said, well, actually, you sold three cars today. And my dad said, what do you mean? He said, well, all this prospecting, all this hard work you're doing, he said, people are starting to call in and ask for you. And he said, we had three people come in just right, boom, 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 right after each other. I I helped them out, so I'm going to give you credit for those three sales. And so my uncle said, you know, at that point, that's when it hit your dad, Vic, that, man, this prospecting is where it's at. Right. He took off, was their number one salesman after that. So... He could have had a long career working for somebody else. They mm-hmm. would have been perfectly happy, probably. In fact, he said at 22 years old, later on that year, he sold 40 cars in one month. Wow! So that's that's a that you know doesn't matter whether it's a small town of Augusta, Kansas, or Wichita, or a big town, yeah, or a big town that's anywhere. A you sell 40 cars. That's yeah. a milestone. So what's funny now in perspective 
the commission on those 40 cars was $800. <laughs> so my uncle went to the owner and said, hey, my kid brother just set the record, 40 cars. I got an $800 commission check from him. I'd really mean a lot to him and me if you'd come to the sales meeting presenting. And the owner was sitting there signing checks without looking up, had a cigar in his mouth, and kind of mumbled, no 22-year-old kid's worth 800 bucks. Oh, my God. Could not see the forest for the trees. Could not see that he yep. had this diamond in the rough. Mm -hmm. And instead of honoring that person, mm -hmm. honoring that employee and patting him on the back and saying, man, kid, your first year you set a record, he blew him off. And so that upset my uncle, upset my dad. And so they promptly quit, went to the bank, took out a loan, and started a little used car lot, Schofield Brothers Used Cars in Augusta, Kansas, back in 1952. And they soon, through hard work, they applied for an Oldsmobile franchise, got that. Applied for a Pontiac franchise, got that. And, you know, they were always... Uh, a cut above everybody else as far as when I look back they were very visionary as mm -hmm. far as service and service after the sale and mm -hmm. prospecting and being involved in the community and they started selling in a little town of 5,000 people they were out selling the Pontiac dealers and dealer in Wichita Wow which at the time back in the 60s was still 150,000 people so GM came to them, studied their operations, and said, "Man, these guys get it. You know, they're they're they got a great service department. They got they just got together. So they talked them into saying, hey, we want you guys to move to Wichita.' So they moved to Wichita, uh, built a built a new store, invested a lot of money. It was a huge leap of faith for I can them. Imagine. And they're yeah. oh, how old are they? They're in their late my, 20s or yeah my 30s. dad's you know back then he would have been you know he would have been early 30s late 20s something like that and your uncle's in his and my uncle was 10 years older so he probably yeah. was late 30s dad 30s, was late 20s. 20s yeah so it was a huge deal for him yeah of course but they they moved over here and um 1965 quickly became the number one pontiac dealer in wichita the number one dealer in kansas and the number one dealer in the midwest and yeah. just and then they just kind of took off. And over the years, they, they added multiple franchises and multiple partners, helped a lot of businesses, helped a lot of, you know, I mean, a car dealership, there, it supports a lot of businesses yeah. in a town. There's hundreds of vendors that rely on a car dealership for their business. So yeah. they support a lot, put a lot of people in business. And, um, you know, today I'm I'm privileged. This is my 32nd year working wow. for my dad. Yeah. And we talked about this earlier. I never would have dreamt back in 1971 or two, back when I was in high school, that I never dreamt and never wanted to get in the car Yeah, business. you wanted to do something else, right? I mean, I think you even worked for, you kind of got into TV, operated a camera at Channel 12, I think. Yeah, CBS so I, I didn't know what I wanted to do, mm -hmm. per se, other than I didn't want to be in the car business. <laughs> right. And, you know, probably the biggest part of that is my dad, as much as I did not like him at the time for making me come over right. in the summer times and work 40 hours a week, starting when I was 14 years old. Right. And, uh, you know, I mean, every job I had was the dirtiest, least appreciated job in the dealership. Lot attendant, detailer, service driver, lot porter. I mean, I just seemed like, it, I mean, I was, uh, I was also at our Winnebago. We had a Winnebago lot and I had to wash Winnebagos and detail them out and 
empty the sump pumps when people came yeah. in with our rentals. Right. Again. Doing all the dirty work. Dirty, nasty work. Mm-hmm. Hot summertime. And if you've ever been on a car lot in the summertime. Yeah, not fun. When it's 105 out, it's about 125 in the car. So you'd have to wear a pair of gloves just wow. to get in the car. You wouldn't burn your burn your fingers. And back back in the 60s and 70s, everybody smoked in the cars. <laughs> right. So part of my imagine. job was emptying the, oh, the overfilling ashtrays oh. in all the used cars that people were driving. I'd have to sometimes pick them out. Gross. I was gross stuff. You know, I hated it. <laughs> so I never I, I never was really exposed to sales uh, or the accounting end. Or I, I was always outside. It was always dead of summer, hot. And all my friends... Uh, who came from less, you know, economic situations than me, their parents gave them 10 bucks a, a week to go hang out the pool. Right. And I'd be, come home and I'd just be dead tired and all my buddies would be saying, oh man, boy, did we have fun with Susie and Mary and Julie <laughs> at the pool. And I just like, gosh dang dad, what are you doing here? You're killing yeah. me. <laughs> You're killing yeah. me. So when I got out of high school, I still didn't really know what I wanted to do. I had a creative bent, so I went to the University of Iowa. Attended that for a while because my brother was there uh, on a creative writing uh, mm-hmm. deal. So I, I kind of had an English, you know, I was an English major with a radio television background uh, minor, and I really kind of gravitated towards that creative mm-hmm. end. So um, when school was out, I, I came to Wichita, and I just happened to walk out. I just decided, hey, I'm going to just go out to Channel 12 and see what they got, see if they got anything. So... I still wasn't totally finished with school. It was summertime, though, and I thought, I'm just going to say, man, I'm going to school to get a TV, you know, to work at a TV station. Maybe I'll just go out there and see what they got. Interviewed with a guy. He said, yeah, you can start tomorrow. Really? Tomorrow? He goes, goes, uh, I need somebody immediately. Can you start tomorrow? Have you ever run a camera before? And I said, oh, yeah. Well, I'd had, you know, TV class maybe one one time. I stretched the truth a little bit. (laughs) I went to work and he said, I hope you don't mind. You know, you can work as much overtime as you want. You can work as many hours as you want. So wasn't a lot of money, but I worked seven days a week and I did absolutely anything and everything that I could get my hands on. So I I ran the camera on the five, six and 10 o'clock newscasts. Um, I would come in early. We would do, we'd go out on production shoots, commercial shoots, um, one of the salespeople after a while said, hey, you know, I remember them coming in one day and I think the announcer was sick or something. They said, hey, you've got a pretty good voice. Have you ever done any voiceovers? I'm like, oh, yeah, I can do that. (laughs) Never done it before. But I voiced a couple of spots for her and she liked them. Then she said, well, can can you write copy? Because I really need somebody to write copy. Because a lot of times you'd be in the production department, they'd come in with the just a few words scribbled on a cocktail napkin. Mm-hmm. And that was supposed to be your script that you were shooting from. So I said, oh, yeah, I can write copy. I had never written copy right. before. So I go to Barnes & Noble or whatever the bookstore was that night and looked up a book. I didn't even buy it. I just went and sat there in the bookstore. <laughs> I love this. Okay, this is how you do this and this and that. So I went, I said, well, you know, instead of you coming back and telling me what your client wants, can I go with you? And she said, oh, so I told the production manager I was doing, he said, well, you know, you're going to get paid for that. You know, he said, that's, you know, you, you don't come to work till one in the afternoon. I'm not going to pay you to go out. You're going to have to do your own deal. I said, no problem. This is the only way I'm going to be able to do this right, I think. So I would go and I, on my own time, and I, I charged the accountants, you know, the, the account executives for, you know, a little bit of 10 or $15 to write the spot. And 
but I just felt it was really, um, I, I had to have that, I had to be there. Yeah. You know, I had to be in the action. I had to understand what the... Understand what, what the objective the, yeah. was. Mm-hmm. So I helped do that, and I started writing spots, and um, I did everything from, we had a local kid show called, uh, there was a guy named Henry Harvey. Yeah. Henry Harvey did uh, Freddie Fudd's Treehead. Freddie, yeah. Freddie Fudd was Elmer Fudd's cousin. Right. So I did Freddie Fudd's Treehouse. And these weren't just, you know, when you're a kid, you just say, oh, Freddie Fudd every week. Well, you don't realize that they shoot a whole season in like two or three weekends. So it was oh, just this yeah. endless weekends of shooting Freddie Fudd's Treehouse. And then Henry Harvey was also Santa, Santa Claus, uh, yeah. Santa's Workshop, mm-hmm. Santa and, and Toy Boy. Yeah. And so we would shoot those, and I would shoot the Christmas parades. On I would come to the Methodist church on Sunday mornings at 9 o'clock and shoot the Man. church service. So I worked my ass off. <laughs> yeah. I did everything. Uh, anything they asked me, can you do? I would always say affirmative mm-hmm. and then go figure out figure how to it. do it. I love that. Well, that's the theme. I'll never, forget, I'll never forget when they asked me, hey, uh, we need somebody to direct a one of our local community uh, affairs programs. I'm kind of like, I had to. I had to stop for a second then because I said, "Well, yeah, I did that in school. I directed some stuff. You know, one project." <laughs> so again, I just went and talked to a couple of the guys up in the engineering deal, and they said, "Okay, here's how you do it: and camera one, camera two, take one, take two, pull out, pull in." You know, and so I did mm-hmm. some of that. So I started doing community affairs programs, and uh, not knowing what I was doing, but I did it. And uh, later, I, I, I did that for a little over a year, loved it, and uh, and then ended up going to work for an advertising agency and taking a lot of those scripts that I'd written, and that was my, now I had a portfolio, now I had some commercials, and I had some community affair programs I directed, so I took my portfolio over and got a job at an ad agency. And uh, really liked that, and it just so happened that um, at the time, um, this ad agency was um, handling one of our my dad's businesses, one of the one of the dealerships, not all of them, just one. And I started calling on my dad's partner, Steve Hatchett, and he kind of started talking. To, he's the one that first got me interested in in the car business. But you know, I, I was always a very introverted kid. Right. I'm very introverted. Was not not an open type person. Yeah. Sales was not something I even considered myself doing. If I'd met you and got to know you, yeah, then I, you'd could, open up. I, I would open it. up, but I was a very shy, introverted person, even up in, into my late 20s, early 30s. Mm-hmm. So he was talking to me about selling cars. I'm like, well, that's the one thing I've never done. Um, but he said, man, how much are you making now? Oh, you can make that much your first year in the car business and yada, yada, yada. So he said, well, let's, let's do it. So I started... Um, December first, nineteen eighty-six, and thirty-two years later, here I am. Well, I love that story. There's so many things I want to point out. First of all, I love, I love the pattern of saying yes and figuring out later. It's a huge theme that I've talked about on this show before. I'm a huge proponent of that too. I try to instill that in my kids. I think a lot of times, if we, I mean, we don't want to do that because we're afraid of stumbling, embarrassing mm-hmm. ourselves. But I think you're right. There's so much to life. To you know, just looking at you, kind of recant that story. If you hadn't said yes, you mean? Who oh yeah, I've never done you know that I mean? before. I I couldn't do that. You know, and so I love I love that aspect of the story. And then it. So I'm curious, how much time exp- uh, from that whole 
in college doing the media stuff, the advertising to when you came back to cars? How much time elapsed? Well, I, between high school and the time I came to work for my dad, it was 10 years. 10 years. Yeah. So I, I was 28 years old when I got in the family business for, yeah. for a full, real job. And, you know, in between all that, I mean, there were restaurants. Sure. And, Landscaping, there was, there was just finding out what you did and didn't want to do. Right. And sometimes you gotta, sometimes you gotta find out what you don't want to do before you find, right, right? before you find what you do want to do. I think, I mean, it's hard to say, but it, I don't think we would be looking at the continued, who knows, but it just seems like the, the, the lessons that you learned in those 10 years. Yes. Probably has benefited this company better than if you hadn't have done that. Absolutely. A, right? Oh, no, I, I fully agree. Um, and, you know, my dad uh, was so good about not pushing any of us kids, and, mm-hmm. and my uncle was the same way. I mean, there was five cousins. I mean, I had two cousins and two another brother and sister. There was five of us, and I think for the most part, just about everybody um, did something in the dealerships. But not, I was the only one out of the five and none of us felt push, you know, but, you yeah. know, it was never expected of anybody. And, you know, I think my dad had, my dad had a lot of down home, still does folkisms, you know, sayings. But, you know, the one thing I remember from an early age, him calling all the kids around and saying, look, I don't care if you're the governor or the garbage man. Whatever you do, though, be the best, best at it. Yeah. Do a hundred percent and want to go to work every day. And he said, the day you wake up, he said, I don't care if you're making a hundred grand a year. If if you don't enjoy what you're doing, then do something else, even if it's for mm-hmm. less money. And this is from a successful car dealer who made lots of money. We had a very nice lifestyle in Augusta, um, but I always appreciated that about him. Mm-hmm. And I never saw him or my uncle ever talk down to anybody or act like. They would talk to the garbage man, you know, they would talk to anybody and it never, they just saw people as people. And, yeah. and that kind of goes back to my dad's other famous saying is that the people you meet on the way up are the same people you meet on the way down. Yeah. And, and I never forgot that either, mm-hmm. which is just another way of saying treat everybody good because you never know. Yeah, you may be up, you, you may think you're a big mm-hmm. shot, but you know, the bigger they are, the harder they fall sometimes. And, and the people you treat, you know, if you treat them well, you know, they'll help you out. If you didn't treat them so well, they may say, well, right. that's what you deserve. Well, it sounds like your your um, Uncle Dick and your, your father, Vic, they were, they complimented each other very well, it seemed like. I mean, they, I'm sure they all had different leadership personalities and mm-hmm. styles. But I'm sensing, I'm curious about your grandfather. I don't know anything about him. How, I, I Something had to be instilled in them, right? That was passed along? Or, well, or I think it was just a sense of family and family, hard, work, hard work. And I think growing up on the farm, and mm-hmm. that's just part of that rural life in America. And, right. and growing up in the Depression, whatever, is everybody worked. They had a sense of, of, there was no sense of entitlement. I mean, everybody worked. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's just, um, you know, I think he just, it was like nose to the grindstone. And he was a very simple farmer type guy and, yeah. and had a, uh, was a sheep farmer and he's a very religious uh, man. Baptist went to church mm-hmm. three times a week and actually was a very colorful character. He was the youngest of ten kids. Oh my! And he and his brothers and sisters were the singing Schofields, and they <laughs> barnstormed the South back really? in the twenties. 
Baptist tent revival meetings. Oh my goodness. My grandfather, Walter, played saxophone. His brother, oldest, like his older brother, uh, uh, Fred, was always the guest conductor. And the other eight, four boys and four girls, were the singing Schofield Choir. Mm -hmm. In fact, uh, it was really cool. Two years ago, my wife and I went to Nashville. We, we went to the Country Music Hall of Fame. And I'm looking at this big, giant exhibit with pictures and everything about gospel music's influence on country music. And damned if there wasn't the singing Schofield, no the picture. And right there in the tent revival and J. Fred Schofield, guest conductor. And I'm just kind of like, <laughs> wow. And I took a picture and sent it to my cousin, who is the family historian. He goes, oh, yeah, yeah, where was that? And I looked at the picture, Biloxi, Mississippi. He goes, oh, yeah, that's where uh, my dad was born, who his dad was Gene, the oldest. So it's just kind of a, you know, yeah. just a colorful family there. I love that. I love this. I love the history. I love the kind of lineage and it all kind of, particularly now when you can look back in perspective and, you you know, you're really sitting on their shoulders, even though, you know what I mean? It, yes. it, it, and when you think back and you're... And the shoulders that you're standing on, it puts things in the proper perspective, I think. And it seems like you are very aware of that anyway, from a family business perspective. You know, here we are, I, I guess technically is this the third generation? So I'm second You're generation. second. You're yeah. about, you're, you got a son. We're, we're, I have a son. I have a two, two kids, a, a daughter uh, who's a special needs teacher, and we are so proud of her. Mm -hmm. And I have a son, AJ, who uh, is a senior at Kansas University uh, in He's one of those kids that uh, has worked, same thing. You know, I, I had him start working in the dealership mm -hmm. when he was 14, and he started, you know, lot attendant, and then the next year he was a, uh, changed oil and did tires and yeah. and did that for a couple of years. And then we had him on the service drive or as a service advisor. And so since he was six years old, he has never wavered. He has never wanted to be a fireman, a policeman, a wanted to be in the car NFL business. football player. He's always <laughs> wanted to be a, in the That's car great. business. So, um but you know, I, 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 and we've talked about this, but, but our way of doing it, much like I went and did work for 10 years and matured mm -hmm. and did other things. I'm not going to make him do it for 10 years because I know he wants to be in the business, right. but I'm, I, but we've kind of settled on he's going to go work for somebody else yeah. you know, for a couple of years. Get that perspective. Get that perspective. And hopefully he finds somebody that he can bring some good ideas back. Mm -hmm. Or if it's not as good a well or run organization as ours, it will help reinforce what, what he's learned yeah, here. Yeah, validate some of the, right, that, you're absolutely that right. Maybe some of the things he doesn't think dad's doing right, or maybe wonders why we're doing it. You realize mm -hmm. there are certain principles that are just, you know, those are just common to the car business, and everybody does them, but, you know, sometimes kids, it's just like when you're trying to coach them, you know. You're right. They don't well. They don't necessarily listen to you. But and then they, they hear, hear somebody else they hear, say they hear the right. same thing from another coach. The light comes on. It's right. like, man, Dad, you should hear this. Yeah, I just tried to teach you that a couple of weeks ago. Well, for the sake of my listeners, I think again, and, and I spoke. I guess it was just a few <clears throat> days ago, last Friday. Um, you had what you call a uh, Rogers curbside Rod chat. Curbside chat, and you and I were talking a week or so ago about how you were intentional about this. Um, wanting to communicate with the folks. I mean, we've already talked about the power of kind of leadership by walking around, right? Mm -hmm. And we were talking about how, and it always surprises me how few um, leaders, people in leadership roles, don't get out of their office, how they don't interact right. with the folks. And you're the exact opposite. I mean, you're out there and you're, you're, you're touching people, patting them on the back, letting them know, hey, great job. And there's so much power in that. I mean, I think about all 
of the times where I, the memorable moments in my career where someone has come up to me and it was never the tchotchke and the plaque. It was always the handwritten note or the yes. pat on the back. Mm-hmm. Rich, thanks for staying late. Man, I can't, you know, that means a lot. And, um, I, I don't know. I am impressed by the culture that I see around here. You got something special going on. Sure, it's a brand new facility, but there's just, just an undercurrent that I'm, I'm always fascinated about the culture. So talk about that. How, intentional is it is just part of your makeup it's almost like it's part of your it's like it's like breathing for you i know but i mean there's an intentionality behind that there has to be right well, you actually uh, some people might have been uh, uh taken aback but you actually call me maniacal i think the first time you came <laughs> here i'm like yeah i, I guess i kind of am when it comes to I, customer I, service and but you know uh in in our industry and, and it kind of dawned on me about 25 years ago uh, when I was a young dealer just starting out and Honda just start, first started doing CSI, which was Customer Satisfaction Index. And I, you know, I was really studying it. What makes those numbers? Well, it's your employees that drive yeah. that. Right. So I, I, I actually, we had a really high CSI index and someone from Honda had called me and they were doing an interview and it just, it, it just kind of came to me in the, in the middle of the interview, and I said, you know, really what you should be asking me about is my ESI. And he goes, ESI, what's that? And I said, well, I just kind of came to me, employee satisfaction index. And I said, we're always measuring our customers, but how about our employee satisfaction index? Mm-hmm. And that's when it really dawned on me. It's like, okay, to, to achieve great customer satisfaction, you have to have, yeah. you have to have a, a satisfied employees. And over... 32-year career of being working in it and then 25 years of leading, you realize that it isn't always about monetary rewards. It's about recognition. Yep. And this is something, you know, I think I, I learned my dad was absolutely the greatest prospector and one of the best marketers. He was great with customers. And then my Uncle Dick was really good with, with uh, employees. And... My uncle taught me that you know you should start every day walking through the dealership. And he said, "Don't ever, don't ever fail me on this." But to start every day, you walk around the dealership and you say hi to as many people as you can. Hopefully, everybody. But you, but if you're going to skip somebody, don't skip the back shop because <laughs> those guys and gals back there, they're back there all day. Yeah, they're, they're so far removed. They're from so what's far going removed on. from what's going on. You gotta say hi to them. And he said, you know, if 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 a guy or gal is back there working, and they never see the owner, what you know, what do they really have to? What makes them want to come to work? What makes them want to bust their ass for you? Mm-hmm. Well, what makes them want to be loyal to you? Right. And so I think um, that that's always been part of our culture. I just that, I just. I try and make that my daily walk around the dealership. I call it taking the pulse of the dealership. Because I walk by somebody, and I'm a pretty, you've met me, I'm a pretty upbeat guy. Mm-hmm. If I'm like, hey, Richard, how's it going? And you're just kind of looking down at your engine, you're working, oh, great, you know, or mumbling or whatever. You know, I'm sitting there going, well, it's 9 o'clock. If Richard's having a bad day right now, it's not going to probably get any better. So I, I'm going to go to the, your department head and say, hey, uh, what's up? You know, what's up with Rich? If they don't know, then they need to find out. Because yeah. we need to get you back up. We need to get your head right. Because, again, you know, people don't care what our day's like. Our customers don't care that we're having a bad day. Our customers don't care, don't care. 
that were having boyfriend or girlfriend problems or marital problems or money problems. Because you know what? They got the same problems. <laughs> right. They got the exact same problems and maybe multiply because now they're here for whatever reason to either have to buy a new car, which is a lot of money. We were talking about that early. Mm -hmm. uh, even a good pre-owned car can cost you ten or 12000 now. Yeah. And then they're here. They may just be here for routine maintenance, but... Have you ever been happy about going to the dentist to get your teeth cleaned? I mean, it's not a crisis, but it's not something it's you not look forward to. Right. So that's just part of that daily walk around. And then I think I shared this with you about 15 years ago where the whole curbside idea came up. Uh, I went to a marketing company and we talked about first impressions and communication. And this guy offered to write a check for $10,000 to anybody in the class who he could call their dealership, and it was his choice who he talked to about whether they knew whether there was a sale going on. And his first question was, is, who all has a sale going on? Well, everybody raised their hand. Well, then when he said, okay, now, whomever I call, will they know? <laughs> so everybody lowered their hands, and he just started talking about how he had a small business that was shipping, it was called Sale in a Box. So he shipped out a giant box that had balloons and pennants and posters. And his deal was, uh, again, first impressions. Image is everything. So you walk into something, you know, if there's balloons and banners and all that, then it looks like there's a sale going on. It kind of creates some excitement. But he said, how many of your, you know, how many? He said, I, I realized I had a small company, but it, the guys in the shipping dock, they didn't know if I was having a good month or bad month. They are just shipping boxes out. Secretaries didn't know. So he started having little luncheons. So that's what he challenged us to do is go back and just include not everybody includes the sales force. And that's what a lot of owners yeah, I think I think that's where the communication right. fails in ninety-nine percent of organizations. The the owner, the guy at the top, or his upper management, they come up with an idea, they may talk to some upper management, and then they and sometimes just upper management, boom, they just do it. And I remember that from being in yep. sales myself. I remember early in my career selling used cars, and all of a sudden we're all sitting there, and next thing you know, here comes a big radio remote truck that looked like a giant boom box, and there's clowns and hot dogs places coming. We're all going, what, what's, what's going on? And radio guys are, oh, yeah, we got a big radio, three-hour radio remote today. Don't you know the big sale? And they're showing it. first time we'd seen it was the morning it's happening. <laughs> right. Everybody else knew about it, including our manager. He just didn't, didn't tell any of the sales people. Yeah. So I think that's when I came. I started thinking, how can I do this? Mm -hmm. And I started thinking about uh, FDR and the fireside chats mm -hmm. and how he communicated to America during the war and the Depression, what was going on. And I thought, well, hey, that's kind of, you know, I, I've always liked that idea of those fireside chats. And so I thought, yeah, I'm going to call them Roger's curbside chats. I shared with you, we used to do them every month. Yeah. But you've seen the production we've done. Yeah. It's so literally, I spend about a week working on an hour mm -hmm. presentation because we've got music, we've got guest speakers. We may have the famous Richard Ryerson coming <laughs> right. in, or we yeah. may have Final Four basketball coach Greg Marshall or the mayor, mm -hmm. or, uh, you know, I've had a whole litany of people come in. Uh, but we want to make it fun and entertaining, but we want to make it informative. Yeah. And part of that information is, again, the recognition. So new hires, they're mm -hmm. recognized in front of the whole group. And it's not, again, it's not just the sales team there. It's no, it's everybody. Parts, service, service lot attendance, yeah. accounting, 
everybody, if anybody's the, 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 the skeleton crew that stays back to run the dealership while we're open is primarily managers and yeah. middle managers mm -hmm. because they get it. They're around me all the time. They're in our meetings. So this is for the guys and gals in the trenches that don't get to be part of those meetings, but that we owe yeah. it to them to share who's new here. Who's had an who's who's been here twenty years? You saw a guy I get yeah. thirty three. You saw several thirty year, yeah. twenty year people here. So to get that kind of longevity, it's about recognition, valuing them. Uh, we read letters from our customers, yeah. and I think I shared with you. I had uh, in a three month period, I had over a dozen letters and a couple of phone, recorded phone calls of people praising us mm -hmm. and. And even though the letters I read, I had to edit them down. And yeah. you commented on how long the letters Yeah, they were just these long letters of positivity. And again, normally you don't see that. Normally you see people spending a lot of time writing a negative letter. Right. I'm seeing the opposite here. And so that was that struck me. Yeah, and and and, and we read one about the, the young lady. Yeah, she, her life was changed. Her life was changed. She came to From Wichita, interaction with the sales. Just from a salesperson. Yep. She came to Wichita, homeless, pregnant. Looking around for a job, she finally finds a job delivering pizzas part-time. The car she had uh, wasn't reliable, so she, she asked for a referral. They sent him to a young man named Brandon, Brandon Horton here. And Brandon, after you saw the letter, she yeah. just bought her third car, and now after five years and working her ass off, she's now the manager, manager of, the pizza place. of the pizza place she went to work for. Now, to me, that's I read that letter because... You never know. This is a human. It puts a human story to our business. Yep. It's not just how many cars can we sell, how much money we make. We're these are major purchases for That's people. Right. These are you got two major purchases in your life: a house and a car. Yep. And a lot of people don't get to the house, so the car, and it may just be that pre-owned car. Mm -hmm. I mean, twelve to fourteen thousand dollars is a lot of money. Yeah, and so we owe it to ourselves. We owe it. And so I, I stress that, and I think you read that. So now the guys in the in the recon department, you know, I want them to know that hey, when you're checking out these cars, people are relying on us. Yep. If you're in service, you know, our our motto is fix right first time every time. Mm -hmm. And we we love it when we get 95% satisfaction rates. But that maniacal brain of mine always says I want to be at 100%. Right. Because you're an airline pilot. Mm -hmm. If the wheels only came down ninety five percent of the time, would not I don't, you wouldn't be getting a, you wouldn't be getting letters no. <laughs> from the airlines. You'd no. say, "What's going on?" So that's how, and I've I've used that analogy many yeah, times. Like it's that. like, man, yeah, ninety five percent. And and honestly, when you're talking in flights, you're not flying a thousand times a, a month. You're flying a few times, so you want a hundred percent. Our operations. I mean, we do a thousand over a thousand oil changes. That's just one operation. Mm -hmm. So we'll do two or three thousand customer interactions just on the service end every month. And so you think about you know the everyone from the driver uh, that checks that car in to the advisor who acts as kind of the nurse and gets your questions and heartbeat and what's what's your symptoms and the technicians are like the doctors and then you got the detail guys you got the other there's five or six parts people i mean there's five or six people involved and they have to work as a team to get your car i mean just even for something simple like an oil change and tire rotation i mean there's there's a lot of moving parts a lot of people involved and so 
everybody has there has to be processes mm-hmm. everybody has to follow them and you know I, I i again you know we always tell people look we don't care how talented you are if you're not a team player if you can't follow the processes i'm sorry you're going to have to go somewhere else mm-hmm. i'd rather have if i have to re- take two people to replace your production i will because i value attitude and teamwork over uh just just your talent yeah there's God, there's so many things i want to highlight that i think is so great that i wish more organizations would do i mean the first and foremost the leadership will walk around we talked about but it's the it's the the understanding and the belief that you could clearly understand and you communicate that everybody's got an important role i mean we say that's lip service teamwork all that stuff but you truly believe it and you truly understand that every single one of us uh, like that letter you gave with the example of that the gal, the eight month pregnant gal who eventually became the man. You know, yeah. we all have an influence over. You know, we're doing more than selling cars here, and that's what I think organizations, the successful, sustainable organizations, understand. I've seen and dealt with car dealerships where it's all about the sales, right? It's just sales. How to be the great salesman? How to do this? Your numbers speak for themselves, but you don't put the emphasis on sales. You do organically, but you put more emphasis on. Um, it's a relationship. It's a relationship. These are customers, customers for life right. that we want. And that shows, and, and I think it's, I should point out too, that your number one sales guy, when I was at your curbside last Friday, and I was blown away. I'm sitting there, I'm watching the list as you go through the wards. I'm like, wow, that, that guy's, that's guy's selling three cars a week. And I'm like, that's pretty impressive. And then you get to your top guy. And I'm like, that's a car a day. Yeah. You know? And then it's like I, 315 and a half cars yeah, that are all-time record. And then I meet the guy, and the guy comes and works for you. How long has he worked for you? Three, four, five years. Five years now. He came to you with no car selling experience. Correct. And so to me, that's a testament to the culture of my, that you let somebody who has the initiative, the willingness, the humble, teachable spirit, the intensity. And this is what I love about this company and you, Roger, is that You've got that maniacal intensity, which I love, and it's coupled with this sense of humility and humble teacher spirit. That makes an organization unstoppable, in my opinion. Yeah. That is the secret sauce. Well, and as you can see, my office is right here in the middle of the showroom mm-hmm. floor. My door is usually open unless we're doing a radio interview, and I think you haven't experienced this, but some of my vendors and Honda people are. I tell my people, look, if you've got a customer and they want to meet me, come knock on the door. There is nothing. I'm not selling a car to Richard right now. I'm not selling a car to my Honda rep when we're in here. So that that customer, and I told I tell all the new people, I, I said, I'm dead serious. I, I, if Unless I'm on the phone, come knock on my door. Even if you see somebody in here, I will always stop what I'm doing to come thank that person, whether they bought a car or not. They may just be looking. I will thank them for shopping with us. Yeah. And I think that's very important. And I all my employees, I said, look, they all start out calling me Mr. Schofield. Hey, I appreciate the respect, but I'm Roger. Okay. And so I'm not above you. I'm not below you. We're together. Yeah. We're working side by side. Yeah. And so that's the leadership principles I try to adhere to. And I tell my managers that. And I told them yesterday, I said, you guys aren't just managers, you're leaders. Yeah. And our constant goal is to, so we're, goals and all that and and so we just divide it up into teams we just you know we have two sales managers for each side and they each had one team but now we're breaking them into smaller teams because i want even a more focused approach on developing talent 
And that's what we're that's what we're here to do. Yeah. You know, your manager is not to lord over people or it's to develop talent. It's a teacher-scholar relationship, and I don't think you didn't put it in those terms, but if I'm an outsider looking in, that's what you have going on here. Yeah. You, at every level, you have a teacher-scholar relationship, and that is so powerful. And again, it, and it gets to the point to where now it's a, um, like I think I said this on Friday, I hate the term work-life balance, right? Mm-hmm. Because you just have a life, right? Yes. And here, you're making it a place where people want to work so you can look back and you can say, hey, I, I, while I was here, I made a difference, right? Like that yeah. salesperson for that lady with the, the pizza delivery example, I mean, he made a difference in that person's life, yeah. you know? And that's the power that we all have and that you're kind of communicating throughout here. I know it sounds pie in the sky type stuff, but I'm just telling you that's why I'm so excited of, of talking to you because that's, that's the culture that's emanating throughout this organization and you're, and you're living proof that a large organization, an automotive car dealership, which already has you know, as a customer coming in, I'm already got my guard up, right? Oh yeah, because I let's know. Face, you're, let's face it, car dealers are always in that top ten list of places you don't really want to go to, right? Or or least respected, um, and yet one of the things in my career, I, when I look back, and even now I'm looking at it, uh, I've always wanted to know, not just say, oh, all our people are real happy. I wanted to prove it, yeah. so I wanted to be engaged, and so. Uh, eight years ago, the Wichita, I was reading the Wichita Business Journal and I saw they had had this best places to work program for a couple of years. And you know, every owner, if you're worth your salt, you think you got the best place. Right. So I thought, I wonder, if, I wonder how this works. So I called them up and they said, well, this isn't just you nominating yourself. If, if you nominate yourself, that's great, but we will send a uh, anonymous survey to your employees and they will take it out and that they'll actually be judging you. So that, that, that really takes some courage sometimes. Yeah, for to sure. Wanna, everybody wants to know, hey, what do you think of me until you really tell them. <laughs> right. So we, um, we, we, we did it. I signed up because so I wanted to see. And we were a nominee. We were a top 10 finalist in our first year. Second year, we were a top 10 finalist. Third year, we were a top 10 finalist. And you know me, I'm a winner. So I'm sitting there going, man, what do we got to do here? Our fourth year, we won the overall, uh, Came out number one. Second year, we won the overall. Third year, or the next year, we, we, uh, we, uh, moved it into a larger group because we were growing and we went from that mid level of 99 or less employees to over 100 employees. And we won that. So we became the first business, uh, in the business journals competition to win it three times, uh, and over two, two, uh, different, uh, uh, what I want to say, uh, employee uh, count. Mm-hmm. So we we came in in the last five years. We won the overall three years in a row. Came in second and third. So I'm really proud of that because that tells me that it's, it's not just okay. Well, I'm I'm buying lunches. We're doing recognition. And I think everybody thinks we're happy. They're happy here. But but we really try to um, we we try to uh, keep that life balance here. So, yeah. you know, that's why I will never open on Sundays mm-hmm. when some of my competitors are. Uh, I believe in everybody working a five-day work week. Um, you know, so I was a, one of the first dealerships in town. We used to, everybody used to work bell to bell, you know, six days a week. That was a car business. And I finally, I started giving her, I started off slowly. I, I started giving everybody a half day off and there five and a half days. And then I just finally said, look, it's just five days. That's all you need. And, uh, yeah. You need some time off, and and we still, 
Uh, all of our employees get um, eight hours of, of paid community service if they choose to do so. So a group of us went and uh, volunteered to help build a Habitat for Humanity house last year or this past year. And so I encourage them to, you know, whether it's your church, your school, Habitat for Humanity, go clean up the river, whatever, you know, that, that option's there. So we really stress that. And uh, we have... Uh, uh, we always have a big Christmas party for everyone. I, I believe in bringing your spouse or your your soulmate, your friend, your your live-in to those. But then we have a family picnic, and and we I want the families and I want the kids and bring your dogs and your kids and we go out to the to a, a ranch I have and and fish and and have hay rack rides and horseshoes and and cook hamburgers and just have a just mellow out and just chill yeah. on a Sunday afternoon and so. We do things like that. So really try to keep it a family deal. We have, uh, in fact, we have about 10 sets of of either brothers or brothers and sisters or moms and sons working here. Some companies don't like that. I kind of feel the opposite. It's kind of like, hey, yeah, that's cool. I'd just soon have a, uh, like if, if you're a mom here and you've got a son, we've got about three or four sets of moms and sons or brothers and sisters or relatives. And I think... And I, I tell them all, look, you know, it's not uh, who you know, it's what you know and what you accomplish. So we'll hire your your son, your daughter, whatever, your dad, your uncle, but they're going to have to stand on their own. Yeah. So I just tell them, I said, if it doesn't work out, I don't want you to be upset. <laughs> yeah, right. But for the most part, I think it, it, it's worked out yeah. pretty well. Well, I love what you're doing here, Roger. It's hard to believe we've been talking for 45 minutes about this. I think what your organization, Schofield Honda here, it's a well-known name here in Wichita. And for my listeners outside of it, um, so many owners would be in every industry would be um, better served if they followed your model, Roger. And I mean that from the deepest. If, if you listen to my show, you know I'm passionate about culture, about spreading leadership responsibility throughout everybody, um, walking around, the humble, teachable spirit, the intensity. Uh, you got it. You got it all. You're kind of living up to what we talk about here in Dose of Leadership. So I think it's uh, it's I'm honored to know you and to be a part of, of of this business and having me speak last week. And anyway, it's just it's an honor to know you. Well, I appreciate that. And we both uh, a mutual friend of ours, Bruce Rowley, introduced us, and mm-hmm. he kind of knew we'd hit it off, and because yeah. we he, he knew that the principles you teach and mm-hmm. live by are the same ones I do. So yeah. that's why we hit it off, and I look forward to working with you in the in the future and loved your talk you gave to our uh, uh, troops last week and I think uh, several people that really resonated with them. All right, Roger, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Richard. Hey, thanks for tuning into the show. Go to richardryerson.com or doseofleadership.com and fill out the contact page and reach out to me. Let me know where you're at your leadership journey. Also, if you want access to my brand new online leadership course to help become a better leader, go to legacyleaderblueprint.com. Fill out your email and you gain access to a free 12-minute video that will reveal the top secrets of leadership and also show you how you can gain access, exclusive access, to my online leadership course. That's LegacyLeaderBlueprint.com. Hope to see you on the inside. Thanks for tuning into the show.